Hello world from Octopost headquarters. This is Radically Transparent, Octopost's original podcast show on B2B marketing now. I'm Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy, and in most episodes of this podcast, we'll feature B2B marketing leaders who will share their radically transparent truths about being a modern-day marketer and what it takes to grow ideas, take risks, and impact change. Joining me on this episode of Radically Transparent is Hannah Jakover, Madkudu's Director of Demand Generation. Hannah, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we're stoked that you're on our show. Um, I have to confess, uh, I've never actually had somebody on the show with so many highlighted technical skills. Let me dive a little bit, right? So you're (laughs) skilled in Marketo, in HubSpot, in Acton, and that's just naming a few, which is seriously impressive. Um, And we're going to touch on all of that later on in the episode. Uh, But I thought I'll start off with an easy question uh, to get radically transparent, which is, could you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, professionally? And and you're at Madkudu. What, what is Madkudu and, and how did you find yourself there? Yeah, that's a great question. So <laughs> I'll start with the, the last question. So Madkudu is a predictive marketing intelligence platform. And what that means <laughs> is we're bringing together kind of three different things. We're bringing together the modern data stack. So thinking about like your snowflakes or your looker. Um, your third-party data, so thinking about intent data like Bombora or G2, and then okay. also the sales and marketing stack, so your CRM okay. system, your marketing automation system. So we're bringing all of that together to provide intelligence that allows teams to really work faster and move uh, move faster and work more intelligently. And that takes the form of things like predictive lead scoring, insights on funnel performance, you can optimize that, um, and value-based automation. And to answer the first question and how I got there is I have spent a lot of time on the agency side. So I've worked at several different B2B demand gen agencies and um, doing a lot of different things, which is how I acquired many of those skills (laughs) and and technical skills. Um, But ultimately, like I went really deep in the area of lead scoring and lead management specifically. So I would actually, you know, or we would be hired by organizations to come in and revamp this process or put this process into place for their organization. So That could look like a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, it's like lead scoring and lead management workshops, building lead scoring models, lots and lots and lots of audits, tech audits, data audits, funnel audits. (laughs) So just seeing like what things needed to be improved and where could we optimize. Um, um, I got a firsthand look at how frustrating this process was for everybody, you know, not just those at the organization, but but on the agency side as well, and even the vendor side too. So I spent a lot of time thinking through like, how can we make this less frustrating? How can we make this less um, or more efficient? And so that was always my goal was how can we get this done in a more efficient way? And have it be a little less painful. <laughs> and ultimately, like, it couldn't, it can't be done with the rate of technology adoption and, and what's coming out. And then the amount of explosive of like data and what's available at your fingertips, like you just can't harness all of that without using technology. So 
last year I made the decision to move in house and I knew that when I wanted to do that, I, I wanted to continue to speak to marketers because I felt like those pain points were very close to me um, and, and very relevant. And we still just like had only scratched the surface on beginning to solve those. And I mentioned too, like the rate of technology adoption and, and what's being introduced into the market. Like a lot of people are just overwhelmed by that and you can't do it manually anymore. It's really difficult. So I just happened to get an introduction to um, Mad Kudu and it was like this moment of amazement and validation all at the same time because it's everything I had been talking about. But then at this level where they're, they've built this incredible machine that can do what I always wanted to do, but like couldn't because I I didn't, you know, it was it was a job for technology and engineers to build that technology. So um yeah, super amazing, just wicked smart group of people at Mad Kudu that are solving these exact same challenges, um, but at a level that can keep up with the technology and keep up with all of the data. So it honestly felt like meant to be um, joining the team. And I wish all of my old clients would have known about Mad Kudu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, just hearing you speak about it and as a marketer myself, especially when you're speaking about, you know, lead scoring and, and lead segmentation, I mean, I get overwhelmed when I have meetings with my team here, when we start talking about how we're going to take our social data and and what are we going to do with it? And so just just like my my stress level is coming down as I hear you speak about Mad Kudu, which sounds incredible. But let's let's raise the stress level with everything you shared. Uh, I'm sure um, there's a lot of things that keep you up at night. But I have to ask because this is the radically transparent podcast, and the question is a famous question that people wait for. So Hana, what keeps you up at night professionally as director of demand generation and someone engaged in this type of work? Um, many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the number one thing that we like is oftentimes really acute is when things break, when things break operationally, uh, that impacts so much. It impacts reporting. It impacts the ability for me to tell a story the ability to see the full picture of things. So that keeps me up and I don't stop until I can figure <laughs> out the problem. I've been called, um, I've been told that I am quite the sleuth when it comes to figuring out why things are broken. And you know, it's a blessing and a curse because it, like I said, like I don't want to stop until I figure it out. But sometimes you have to let those things go or um, deprioritize them or um, delegate those tasks. So that can be tricky. And then the other thing I think that keeps me up is unintentional bad user experience. Mm. Um, when we don't think about like, ooh, that was not a good experience and it just happens to go out into the world and you get that feedback or you realize it after the fact, um, that will keep me up at night. And I have been known to uh, you know, spring out of bed at three in the morning to try and fix something. <laughs> <laughs> can you um, can you recall off the top of your head, maybe a, an example of one of the worst uh, bad customer experiences, so to speak, that that you've oh, seen and, and, and solved. Gosh, I mean, there's been so many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> um, we all make mistakes. Yeah, I think one of the most recent one was just like this <laughs> webinar follow up that happened, and I was sending people 
uh, unbeknownst to me to this to this terrible experience to get the replay of the webinar. And then once I realized it was happening, like you could figure it out, you could get to where you needed to go, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy experience, which is what we wanted it to be. So um, at first I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. I see that people can access it, see people are in there. But then I started getting feedback like, oh, like this isn't, like I can't get the replay. And so um, we had to kind of re-host that video elsewhere. Um, I quickly built kind of a, a separate landing page for the replay and just rebuilt that experience completely. So I just took it out of that platform and moved it into a different platform and then sent a an apology email and said, hey, that was a really crappy experience and we didn't like that and you probably didn't either. So here is the better experience and here is an easy access to that replay. I, I like the ownership of that and I like the transparency to the customers. I think that that really says something about your character and I think it says something about where you're coming from as well because when you can own, you know, hey, this wasn't the greatest and we have something better, mm-hmm. I think that's phenomenal. Um, I've actually never seen that. Um, usually I see kind of the update in the back behind the scenes uh, and it magically right. is, you know, fixed. But I think that's kudos. That's that's a pretty uh, honorable thing to do. Um, so that actually leads me into my next question for you. And it has to do with something in marketing or something in sales, depending what team you're coming from, um, has to to think and say about it. But I think since marketing and sales were in existence, um, there has always been this battle of alignment and controversy of misalignment. Um, And I know that you're quite skilled (laughs) in handling both the sales and marketing sides of a fluent alignment. it's often right due to human roadblocks. So, I mean, I, th- I think we can we can both agree on that. So, what might possibly limit or impact in a positive way an alignment strategy that you've seen, um, a direction or execution, and the alignment of these two teams? And can you help us kind of understand a little bit more about what what you've seen from the? I know you've been you know on the agency side and now in house on aligning these teams and what we can maybe bring to our own teams to to align better and stronger? Yeah, I think it's such a critical question. And um, what I want to say that's really important that definitely goes outside of this conversation too, and we see it happening in our society even, um, is oftentimes we take a hard stance on something or an opinion on something just due to preferences or experience. And that's normal as humans. Like that's just how we operate, but it's very subjective. And so it limits us in being able to connect and have these shared experiences that are based in truth. And when I say truth, I mean, uh, really mean data mm-hmm. um, and guidance, um, uh, guidance that could be predicted to say, we know this is the best path to move forward because of this data. So I think what we see is, and again, like in broader relationships across organizations is things get done a certain way because Mm -hmm. 
that's just how they've always been done. It's not because they're the best way. It's not because it's the most effective way. It's because that's how it's always been done. And there's somebody orchestrating that. There's somebody coming in and orchestrating that, whether it be on the sales side, whether it be on the marketing side, whether it be at the very top at the CEO level, somebody is orchestrating that. Um, And so I think it's really important that we a, just recognize that that's happening. And even in our own daily preferences, like I want to use HubSpot because I've always used HubSpot and that's my preference. So even, even when we make those little decisions around technologies and process, we're doing that. So how can we learn from our experiences, but also leverage data and um predictiveness to tell us like what is the most effective tool to use or what is the most effective process to use not just based on your experience so um, I think it's really important that we can leverage technology to make those determinations and infuse our decisions or at least um, have our decisions come from a place of data when available and if we can remove a lot of that subjectivity and rely on the data, it's going to give us more time to focus on the collaboration and focus on building the relationship and the end goal, you know, who versus who's right and who's wrong. Um, and so we can just really build stronger relationships when we do that. Those are some wise words. And I've actually never looked at it that way. You know, I so I use, you know, Marketo and, and the thought of using any other tool is just scary to me. So I don't. But now that you've shared what you shared, I almost wonder if I should dabble in some of the other marketing automation tools just, you know, for for fun because we all have so much free time. But, uh, you know, for to, to really get out of my comfort zone and perhaps gain some data that I haven't yet seen before. And I think that's that's an interesting piece of insight that I've never actually explored. So I'm writing that down and I'm <laughs> the next time we meet, I'm going to update you and see if I can match the number of uh, marketing technology platforms that I'm a little <laughs> bit more versed in. Um, but I think yes. what's interesting there as well in terms of the alignment, and I think a lot of the, the, I mean, the conflicts kind of come in different areas, but I think one of the biggest challenges is the handoff between marketing and sales, right? Because marketing is super top of funnel, um, and then it gets to the sales funnel and, and kind of what happens, what should it look like? What should that handoff look like? And I want to ask you, because I know you've worked with so many different types of clients, um, what have you seen in terms of successful handoffs? What have you seen in terms of flops and things we should be very aware of not to do um, in terms of creating a process, right? We want to make sure those processes are smooth and not broken in any way. How can we make a, a smoother um, and proper handoff from sales to market, or sorry, from marketing to sales? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the age old question, which I think we're getting to a place where it's 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 getting better. Like it's everyone is like, oh, yeah, we can be we can be friends, sales and marketing. And um, I keep talking about how there's this culture and it's just based on the fact that, again, like this is how it's always been done. Like we've been told, especially if you are younger in uh, B2B marketing, like you've been told that sales and marketing used to not get along. And so you have that in the back of your head, like, oh, like we're not supposed to get along. It's, it's a blessing when we get along. And I just think that's silly. Like, it's just a, (laughs) it's a bad, it's a bad, I don't know. I think it's, it perpetuates a lot of the feelings that we have towards each other in sales and marketing when it's not true. 
we should be BFFs. You really should. And like that handoff should be the highlight of your day because you're reaching a milestone in your goal of creating more sales wins together. It's a big milestone and it should be celebrated and it should get everyone excited. It shouldn't be a bad experience. So I think in order to have that good experience, we really need to make sure first and foremost that what we're passing over is is what we agreed we would pass over. So working on those definitions together of here's what I'm going to pass to you and why and what that might look like. And here's kind of the, the, the bumpers that I'm putting around that, um, you know, and there might be some people that slip through, but there's always a reason, you know, this person came through and here's the reason why. So that leads me to say an important point, I think about being really transparent about why things are being handed over. So what is the reason a lead became an MQL? Don't just hand it over and say, yes, we have a new MQL. Um, We want to know, sales needs to understand, why did they become an MQL? What have they been doing recently? What does the history on the account look like? So it, you know, all of that information packaged up in Mm -hmm. that handoff is really helpful for sales to see. And I would just say too, like, if you're not sure what the information is, what it needs to be, ask, you know, just, and even just by asking and having that collab or that conversation, you're increasing the collaboration and you're strengthening that relationship because it's a dialogue. It's not just one person making a decision in a silo and then acting on that. So I would also say that a handoff doesn't mean hands off. So write that down. Can you say that again? (laughs) Can you say that again? And for anyone listening, if you have a pen and paper, or if that's old school and you have your your phone and you want to just write this down, Hannah, can you say that again? Yes, yes. A handoff doesn't mean hands off. Because we as marketers need to broaden the horizon of our funnel. And I think we're getting there. A lot of marketers are looking at revenue. They're looking at pipeline. They're looking at um, opportunities and, and SQOs and things like that. They're going beyond the MQL, which is great. But continue to do that. Keep that. Keep that same energy because we need to help push deals across the line once they're officially handed off. It's a milestone, right? That doesn't mean we're at the finish line. So keep going and keep collaborating um, with sales and and have conversations around, hey, like this MQL, um, they were pushed over at this date and now where are they at? What can we do? What can I do to help increase, you know, the likelihood that we're going to turn them into an opportunity? And I think, you know, to your question around, like, what are some of the flops I've seen? It's really exact, the exact opposite of everything I just said. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, don't, you know, don't agree on what an MQL is. That's a big no-no. If you just are saying, I'm going to decide what an MQL is and assume that everybody else thinks that that's okay. Um, you know, not just not having these conversations, not documenting the process. That's a big one. Um, Not, ooh, here's another big one. Not looping in your marketing ops team. Um, There are so many operational technical changes that need to happen in order to like get a very beautifully flowing process. And things break, things break all the time. But at least when you loop in the people that are close to that technology from the beginning, they can tell you, hey, 
that's not really going to work. Or they'll help you troubleshoot. Like I want to do this, then this, then this, and they'll help you figure out the best flow for that. So I think it's really critical that we're looping in not only sales and marketing, but also the tech experts. I think that's a valid point. Um, and I think with that, in terms of marketing ops, because they are the, you know, so-and-so in the company, usually the technology experts, um, and you in, indeed were that, you were in those shoes. I think you you know very well, <laughs> um, you know, and you still are in those shoes. So can we talk for a moment about social media and perhaps how you incorporate the social data into some of your nurturing programs or your handoffs or uh, your definitions of MQLs and what's, you know, the the information that you include there. Is there anything from social popping in? Yeah. And I think just from like a general nurturing standpoint, like we're always trying to have a surround sound effect when it comes to nurturing. And so we may spend more time creating a more robust experience for tiered account, uh, tiered accounts, but there's always this level of consistency across what we put out on various channels. And then, you know, you should always be infusing that data back into your scoring model, or if it's not critical to scoring, at least incorporate it in um, that handoff. You know, here's what that engagement looks like, whether it be on the website or whether it be on social. Um, and so it, it's definitely critical to have a tool that where you can track those things and bring all of that data together, because that's when it's the most useful is when we can use it to drive decisions forward. Um, so I think it's critical on that side. And then also for sales outreach, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at this activity to try and get closer to our prospects. And even if it's not directly called out, we're not like, Oh, Hey, I saw your LinkedIn posts. Sometimes we do that. But (laughs) even if we're just learning, you know, social is critical for just having your ear to the ground and getting closer to your customers and prospects. So then you can take that information and personalize your uh, interaction and build that relationship up. Love it. Um, listen, we've got about five minutes left in this show and I want to get to my favorite question because what I do know, what I follow you on LinkedIn, you are involved in numerous incredible, um, inspiring organizations. And I want to hear a little bit from you putting our, uh, demand generation hats to the side. What, so the question is this, um, what can you tell us about yourself that we cannot learn from your LinkedIn profile, number one, but then also I know that you're, you're active in some very inspiring organizations and feel free to, sh- to throw those in because I want to give them a follow and a, and a mention because they're, they're truly incredible. And in and, and your voice, I'm following you is, is truly incredible. Yeah. Um, So to the first point, which actually kind of ties nicely into one of the organizations that I'm I'm a part of is um, my tech origin story is pretty interesting and not a lot of people know it. So I'd always wanted to go into I knew I always wanted to go into marketing, but I actually started in sports marketing in the snowboard industry and big snowboarder um, and thought that was going to be my career path. (laughs) Yeah. So that's something you probably don't know either. (laughs) But tech was always something that I had an affinity for and was interested in finding a career 
in the tech industry, once I kind of realized, okay, like the snowboard industry is cool and it's fun and it's something that I'm passionate about, but it's not very lucrative. And it's also, um, you know, the future of that industry is questionable. I, I hate to say it, but with the climate crisis and, and things like that, like this, that industry is diminishing. Um, and I'm sure there will be other other ways to beef that up. But anyways, um, I digress. So <laughs> I chose the tech path. <laughs> a great path. Um, but when I, <laughs> yes, but when I graduated from uh, college, uh, the job market just wasn't great. So I decided to kind of shift gears and say, hey, I'm going to take some time to figure out what I want to do. And while I do that, I'm going to live in Bend, Oregon which is an amazing little ski community. So I could snowboard and I had done a lot of nannying in the past. So I was going to do some nannying and, and that would help me make money while I looked for my next, you know, my next journey. So I had like my nanny resume and then I had a separate marketing resume and I had like built this entire website showcasing my marketing expertise And I ended up meeting this woman and initially she was looking for a nanny in Bend, but she started doing some digging and she realized that I had this like entire marketing background and like website and she was blown away and just happened to own a demand gen agency. (laughs) And she said, why don't you come start and split your time and work, you know, hang out with my kids. And then on the other side, like start as a marketing coordinator and work on the agency side. Cause we need you, we need amazing. your help. Yeah. And we agreed. And we were like, this is either going to be the best idea ever or the worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and turns out it was the best idea. Eventually I was full-time at the agency working on client accounts, running our internal marketing. And, and that's really kind of like my tech origin story. And um, she's one of my dearest friends today and mentors. And um, I'm so grateful that she took a chance on me. And she also encouraged me to join this amazing organization called Women in Revenue. Okay. So um, that's a wonderful, wonderful networking community of just badass women in revenue <laughs> that are looking to support each other and lift each other up and um, help each other tackle critical challenges and not just being leaders in the tech industry, but also um, women in the tech industry. Um, and and just tackle the challenges of, of not only being a, a leader in tech and navigating those waters, but also being a woman in tech and navigating what comes with that. Um, and some of my other favorite organizations also uh, tackle challenges that that have to do with being black in tech, because being black and being a woman in tech, there are a lot of different challenges that are are thrown at you. Um, and so there, there's a couple organizations that I'll also call out. Black and SAS is one of them. My, my good friend, Christine, started that one. Uh, black Marketers Association of America. And, and one that is um, has not yet officially been announced, but Demand Gen Report has put together an amazing diversity council called Demanding Diversity. And um, I have the pleasure of being a founding member on that team. And um, we've had some amazing conversations and I can't wait to share a lot more about that. Will you be sharing, you know, the work that you're doing and the the different on LinkedIn? I mean, what is the best place that people can not only learn about your 
ridiculous, <laughs> amazing, incredible demand generation tips, tricks, know-hows, uh, insides and outs, um, but also the organizations that you're part of, what you're up to. Where's the best place to connect with you, to follow you? Where are you most active? Yeah, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at Hanna Jakover. Um, and I can, I'll do a lot more ranty stuff on Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm on, <laughs> I, I do also host a weekly clubhouse room with some okay. of my favorite demand gen ladies. And um, that's been really fun. It's called Campaigns and Cocktails. Okay. And, well, um, I'm, I'm recently new to clubhouse. I've got the little party hat next to my name. So I know what room I'm going to be looking for. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We just, we just moved days. So it used to be Thursdays at four. Now it's Wednesdays at four. Okay. Um, so it's been super fun doing that. And then um, I'm in a lot of different, you know, Slack micro communities, like women in revenue is one revenue collective, things like that. So I'm all over the place, but LinkedIn <laughs> is probably like a good first step. <laughs> Anna, we're so lucky to have had you on this show. Um, now we can officially say that you were also on the Radically Transparent podcast. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for being you. And thank you for getting real with me today on all things marketing and in all things important to you. So with that, I wish you the most success and I look forward to hopefully in H2 having you back on the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.